So good morning. Um, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jay, um, and I get to pastor this wonderful group of people called Cultivate Church. And if you're new with us, we call this our family gathering. I think that's already been mentioned, but we believe it's, it's our gathering of our family to celebrate God and what he's done in our lives through his son, Jesus Christ, and to get equipped for all of life of being the church. And so we don't, we don't just consider ourselves a church when we gather or when we're in a certain building. We really want to be the church all the time. And so the reason that we're here this morning is to celebrate the God who made us his, his people, his church, and at the same time, hopefully get equipped for being his church throughout the rest of the week. So if you're here uh, among the church, welcome. Um, and I would encourage you, by the way, if you, even if you weren't planning on it, even if you just kind of came for the first time this morning, um, to, to stick around afterwards for lunch. We'll have enough uh, to feed you if you have some questions or just want to hear about our story as a church, where we've come from, our vision as a church, where we're going, or anything in between. Uh, you get to come and ask any question that you like. So uh, please consider doing that. We'll just be downstairs after our gathering today. Um, speaking of being equipped, we've been going through a series on really trying to, to look at what does it look like for us to be equipped for times and seasons of difficulty, for tough stuff, uh, for seasons of suffering and grief and loss and pain and trial, what does it look for, for us not only just to be equipped ourselves, but hopefully as we're being equipped to really be able to equip other people to walk through those very same things with the grace and presence of God. Um, and so we're in week five of that series now. We have one more week next week. Uh, but that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at it through the lens of a guy named Job. And you may have uh, known that Job has a book that's written about his life in the Old Testament. And Job, if you know anything about him, he's a, a pretty upstanding guy in his community. He's a, a believer and a lover of God. Everything seems to be going his way. And then suddenly everything, absolutely everything, is taken away from him. And the rest of the book of Job is all about Job struggling through finding answers to both the reasons, why did this happen, and how do I get through it? And so through the series, we've been kind of going back and forth between those two questions. If you were here with us last week, you remember that we talked about some of the resources to help us handle the how. That when we're going through suffering, we really need to, to have some secure anchor points in our life to that give us a reliable resource that we can cling to to endure seasons because it's in seasons of loss that everything seems to come unhinged, right? And so we need those. We talked about God actually being those things for us, his presence, his glory, and ultimately the resurrection of God being the things that are most secure for us in times and seasons of struggle. If you remember, we talked about an analogy of sort of going up and over a mountain, and that's the reason that we have the graphic that we do for the series, because that's often what it feels like to go through these seasons, is to kind of traverse that sort of terrain, and, it, and sometimes it seems impossible. So how do we do that? So last week we talked about kind of the strength to get through, but if you remember, I mentioned that there was another thing that helps us kind of navigate through a mountain pass, if you've ever been uh, in places like that, and that is a map. All of us like a good map, right? How many of you like are GPS junkies? I'm this, like I was just talking about this the other day. When I when I'm going to a new place, um, even when I'm going to the same place, I'll just be honest. 
I've, like places I've been to hundreds of times before, I will still turn on the GPS because I think maybe, just maybe, Google will have found a new direction for me to go that's better than the one that I've been taking to the same place I've been going every day for the last year. Um, I, I love maps because I, I, I love to see kind of how things work and how things connect. And some of those things are good things that we, we, we you know, if you're like me and you like maps, that could be a good thing. Here's the problem, though. We can be overly dependent on maps, can we not? To the point where we apply the same logic, the same type of thinking to absolutely everything in life, and we think, well, I, there's no way to get through this if God does not show me a map. There's no way I can get through suffering if God doesn't reveal 12 steps for me to get through it, or 50 steps, or 100 steps, or whatever the case might be. If I don't have specific, reliable steps to get through it, if he doesn't reveal those things to me, or if I can't find them out myself, then I'm done for. Um, and so we're going to talk about maybe the only map that we sort of get through Scripture. But here's my, my, um, my theory. You're not going to like the map. Especially if you're a map guy or a girl. Um, what's that? Yeah, right. Um, because the map looks a little bit more like a warning sign than it does a map. Uh, it's one thing to have a map to get through a mountain pass. It's another thing to come to a sign that says, Warning Avalanche Ahead. It doesn't tell you where, it doesn't tell you how, it doesn't tell you necessarily what to do and the steps to do it, but it does tell you what's coming. And that's essentially all we get. So here, here's the way that the map looks. This is going to come in, in Job 28. The map is what Job says is actually the most important thing that's required through these seasons and times. And it's called wisdom. Wisdom. That's the map. Um, wisdom is interesting because it's, it's a fuzzy concept. It, it doesn't seem to have like a whole lot of handles to it. And it doesn't seem to be, at least at first glance, something that could help us in the way that a map could. But here's the thing about wisdom is it, in terms of it, how it relates to suffering. If you're going to get through suffering, it requires wisdom. But here's the other thing. If when you go through suffering with wisdom, guess what you get? More wisdom. And so we're, we're sort of coming to the end of the book, and Job is he's going to start to talk about um, and come to some conclusions about the suffering that, he, that he's in. And one of the most profound things that he begins to talk about is this concept of wisdom and his need for it to get through what he's going through. So we're going to look at, at Job 28. If you're going to read along with us, it's on page 364. 364 in the Story of God Bibles that we've got in the seat. And just as we read through it, just take note of some of the things that you hear, some of the things that you are, are, are seeing and experiencing and learning about wisdom and how that might relate to times of suffering. So this is what it says. We're... We're going to jump through a little bit, starting with verse 1, and then we're going to skip through a couple places. So verse 1 says, There is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Verse 9, People assault the flinty rock with their hands, and they lay bare the roots of the mountain. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. 
They search the sources of the river and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not in me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighted out in silver. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way of it. He alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the winds and measured out the waters, when he made the decree, a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and, he pra- and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. He said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So let me ask this. We, we dialogue a little bit through our gatherings here. What do you learn about wisdom? And before you answer, guys, um, on the computer, can you pause the music because I'm getting a little bit of it through the monitors. Thank you. What do we learn about wisdom? Yeah, it's tough to find, isn't it? Yeah, it can't be purchased. There's no resource valuable enough. So it's obviously different than knowledge. Knowledge is just the facts, right? Wisdom is much more than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it can't be found in the land of the living which is most of where we do life, right? Uh, So if you think about wisdom as being something that you can attain through, you know, uh, the way that you would attain other knowledge, yeah. So we we go to a number of other sources looking for it, and in the end what we find out that it's God who speaks back to you. You know, like all, all through this in Job's poem, it's Job kind of wondering about these things, talking about what's true, and then at the very end, the, the voice changes and who's speaking God speaking back to humanity saying this is where to find it it's interesting I mean there's there's a whole lot that we could say about this you might be wondering like well how does this relate to suffering and we're going to get there in a second it rela- I mean the first thing we could say is that it relates because it's coming from a man who suffered more than all of us combined I think and he's telling us something about about wisdom and it's helping him through his darkest season. I mean, he's, he's beginning to come out on the other side. He's beginning to see clearly some things that were fuzzy to him just a few chapters ago. And so there's, there's something that we need to kind of lean in and hear from this man who's gone through probably more than we have. Um, and he uses a couple of analogies. So here, here are the two analogies I'm going to use. One is that wisdom is like a hidden treasure. And two, that wisdom is like a terrifying gift. So, wisdom is like a hidden treasure. He starts out by comparing wisdom to gold and silver, right? He says, people assault the flinty rocks, this is in verse 9, with their hands, they lay bare the roots of the mountains, they tunnel through the rock, their eyes 
see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor its price be weighed out in silver. In other words, if even if you had silver and gold in abundance, if you were the richest person who ever lived, you would not be able to purchase wisdom. Because money can't purchase something that's not even the right currency to get it. The Bible says, actually, that, the, that wisdom is even more valuable than those things. It's more important than anything else, and its value is more than anything else. It's a treasure. So why is it so valuable? You ever think about that? Why, like, because I mean, it talks about it in such weighty terms. Why is it so important? Well, there's a, a little hint if you actually look at the just the Hebrew words themselves that Job uses. The word understanding is kind of like insight, and the word for wisdom is something like mastery. So when you put the two together, what you see is actually that wisdom is something like insight into life that results in mastery of what to do in absolutely any given circumstance. How many of you would love that? Now you start to see how valuable it is, right? And the reason why people go to such lengths and and pay such high prices to have somebody teach me what is wisdom. How do I navigate this? See, it's It's not just right knowledge, as Laura was talking about. It's not just knowing the facts about something. And it's not really just even knowing, like, what's right from wrong. It's not sort of just having a value system. It's more than both of those things. See, because there there are some situations that only take facts. Like, should I eat today? You know, unless you're fasting, probably just, you know, an easy answer for you. And there are some situations that take only wisdom. Like, it... If somebody is in need and I have the means to help them, then my value says, because I'm a believer in Jesus and he helped me when I was in my greatest need, yes, I should help that person if it's within my need. But wisdom is knowing what to do in the 90% of life situations where facts and values aren't even enough. And that's a whole lot of life, isn't it? I mean, think of some of the things that require wisdom. I mean, what are some of the things that you come across that require wisdom? What are some of the situations that you need wisdom for? Yeah. Parenting. Never enough wisdom for that. <laughs> what else? Yeah, how to navigate through conflict with someone. Yeah. Yeah, how to... How to deal with illnesses, which, you know, if you're not in one, somebody would probably say to you, well, it's just fact-based. You do what the best research says. And then you, you start to uncover that a little bit, and you go, well, it's all over the map. One person says this, and another person says this, and it's up to wisdom to actually give you the insight on how to master that situation, right? Who should I date? Who should I marry? How many kids should I have? What job should I take? All of that. It requires wisdom, right? Not just facts, not just values, but wisdom. See, most decisions, especially, especially the ones when you're in a season of suffering, take wisdom. 
I love the way that Tim Keller puts it. He says that wisdom is competency with regard to the complexities of life. Competency with regard to the complexities of life. And here's the truth. There is no season of life which seems more complex than when you suffer. Right? We talk about a, a time and season of our lives that feels like it's so complex that we just don't know what to do. It requires wisdom. And so it's an incredibly valuable treasure that can't be bought and it can't have a price put on it. But it's also, here's the other aspect of it, it's a hidden treasure. It's not just valuable, it's hard to find. So this is what Job says in verse 1 and 9. He says, There's a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. People assault the flinty rock where, where these things are found with their hands, and they lay bare the roots of the mountains. So in other words, if you want silver or gold, all you need to do is go out to the place where it's found, use your own skill and your own knowledge, and after a while, if you're looking in the right place, you'll find it. You'll get it. But then he says this in verse 12. He says, but where in the world can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? See, that's a rhetorical question to say, you can go to the right place to find these other things, but where in the world can you go to find wisdom? And what skills can you yourself use to get them for yourself? And the answer is, you don't have the skills. Because no mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. And so that means that it's something that we can't just discover with our own human senses. We can't just pay somebody and go to a seminar and think that at the end of that seminar, we'll have the wisdom to know how to navigate through the complexity. It can give us tools, maybe, but it can't walk the walk for us. See, because it doesn't come from us. Wisdom can't be found by us. And the truth is, we like to think that our ability to reason, our ability to think our way through a problem can produce wisdom. And Job is saying back to us, and I hate to break it to you, but that's absolutely wrong. In fact, if you've been going that route, you'd probably say something along the lines of, how's that been working? And you think, well, okay, well, what does this have to do with suffering? And the answer is absolutely everything. Because we live in a culture that says if you're dealing with suffering, if you have grief or loss or pain or trials or anxiety of any kind, you can fix it. You can think your way out of it. You can produce the answer. You can walk out. You can have a map. And here it is. And I will sell it to you for a certain price of monthly installments. I mean, what, what are some of the ways that we try to acquire wisdom in the land of the living when it comes to, to seasons of suffering? What are some of the ways that we look to get out of it? And from your experience. Okay, so, I mean, it could be like a certain teaching, a seminar that gives you a, a process to work through. What else? And they're everywhere, right? Yeah, read this book. Take this pill. Anything else? Have you ever heard this? What you really need is just a, you need some kind of change in your life. And you're just seeing things backwards. You're not seeing it for what it is. 
If you just changed your job, your house, where you live, your spouse, your kids, if you just got out, everything would be better. What were you going to say, Jim? Yeah, right. If you just exercise, if you just take this prescription, if you... I mean, there's a whole host of things. And, and Job is saying this in response to, to the, the wisdom that's found in the land of the living. Those things are band-aids, not solutions. At best. At best. They will cover over it for a season. They might help deal with some of the, the fallout from it. And it's not that they're all bad and, or all good. So we're not being black and white about this. Some of those things could help to a point, but ultimately, wisdom itself cannot be found in the land of the living. They will never, ever answer the big questions of how to deal with incredible suffering. That's the conclusion that Job is coming to as a man who is suffering. No earthly change can actually give you wisdom because wisdom is only found with God himself. So I'm sorry. And here's the thing. This is the crazy part because we're, you know, a church and, um, and we're believers in Jesus. Oftentimes we can turn the Bible into a, a, a wisdom book, a plan, a map that actually cuts God out of the, the situation altogether. And I've heard it. I mean, I've been through uh, times and seasons where people have said something like, well, if you just follow the plan that's in the book, then you'll get out on the other side. Just going, I don't know what that book is, because it's not found in this one. So if somebody tells you there's a way out of your pain, if somebody offers you a map, even if that map is the Bible itself, but does not include the source of wisdom himself, run. Run. Because it will not go well for you. It's like trying to write your own map over a mountain you've never climbed before. And by the way, they probably haven't either. It's a, it's a hidden treasure. Here's the other thing about it, though. Wisdom is like a terrifying gift. Now, we're going to get to the terrifying part in a second, okay? So try to put that on the shelf for a minute. Let's talk about the fact that it's a gift. Every gift has a giver, right? It has a source. So look at the difference between the two rhetorical questions that Job poses. Did you catch the difference in verse 12 and verse 20? The first time he asked the question, he says, but where can wisdom be found? And the second time he asked the question, he says, but where does wisdom come from? The two different questions, right? See, the first question is, if I use my own reason, my own ability, or if I know somebody that has greater with reason and ability than, than I do, can I go to them or to this source and find wisdom? And the answer to that is no. But the second question says, can I receive wisdom? Can it come to me? And Job's answer to that question is yes. Why? Because wisdom is a gift from the one who is wise. The giver of wisdom is God himself. And so he says in verse 28, and he, that is God, 
said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. God knows where it is, and He can give it to whom He likes. So you'll never find true wisdom through any human reason, but you can receive wisdom if God speaks it into your life. If He shares wisdom with us, then we can get it. If He reveals it to us, then we can know where it is. And if you're in a season of suffering, that means that if you're trying to figure a way out of it, if you're trying to look for wisdom apart from the source of it, then you're on an endless search that will absolutely never lead you out of it. But, God can reveal it to you. It's, it's funny how cynical, though, we are of the possibility of God speaking it back into our lives, right? Especially if you feel like you need it at a certain moment. And this is actually where we've been discipled by our culture. Because our culture is one that says, if you can't find it, then it doesn't exist, right? There's a great example of this that has a response to this. And it was a really clever one. And he said this, If there is a creator God, then we would not relate to him as a person on the first floor relates to a person on the second floor. That would be impossible. Instead, we would relate to God as Shakespeare relates to a character in one of his plays. If Hamlet is going to know anything about Shakespeare, Shakespeare himself will ne- or Hamlet will never learn it by going into the rafters to look for him. If Hamlet is going to know anything about Shakespeare, the author himself will have to write something about himself into the play itself. In other words, it must be revealed to Hamlet. And by the way, it works the same way with us. God must reveal himself to us in order for us to know what he's like, in order for us to get wisdom as a gift, because wisdom is always a gift. We can't earn it ourselves. It can only be given to us. And here's the great news about this gift called wisdom. God has revealed himself to us. He has shown us what he's like, and he has started to reveal what it looks like to receive wisdom. And the source by which we do that is something called the Word of God. And it helps us to understand something about what kind of wisdom we need in order to actually move through suffering. Because one of the things that we learn right away when we read through the Word of God is that God reveals something about the way that the world works. And we need to understand something about the way the world works. Otherwise, we'll never be able to deal with suffering. The first thing that we find out through God's Word that Job hints at a little bit here is that God made the world through wisdom. Because he did this, the world itself reveals something about who he is. And so Job says this in verse 25 to 27. He established the force of the wind and he measured out the waters when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Then he looked at wisdom and he appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. In other words, there's a a pattern to the world that we live in. God made the world with an order, and that order was according to his wisdom. And yet, we know that the world doesn't always work that way, right? It doesn't always work as planned, as 
scheduled. Verse 23 says the second thing that we need to know about wisdom, which is that God is alone. He's the only one who understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. God alone is the one who sees it all. God alone is the one who knows what wisdom actually is. You might think to yourself, like, well, that sounds really stingy. Right? I mean, if you knew the, the place where the greatest treasure in the history of the world was to be found, and you knew that even if other people knew where the source of it was, they could never exhaust it, there would be plenty left over for you, would you want to tell them where it's found? And that's often the way that we think about wisdom in terms of how it relates to God. God, why are you withholding this from me? Why are you holding back? Why can't I get the wisdom that I need to trans, you know, to, to traverse this difficult, complex road, especially ones called suffering and grief? And I think part of the answer is that we would end up substituting the wisdom itself for the person who could give it to us. I mean, think about this. If, if you knew where the greatest treasure that ever existed was, and you could bypass the person who told you where to get it, would you bypass them? Probably. Yeah. And here's how I know that deep down in your heart, the, the, even if you said, oh, no, 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 I would never do that to God. I would never do that to Him. Here's deep down in your heart, here's how I know the answer is contrary to the ones that your lip would even say. Because we did. I don't know if you remember this, but our very first parents lived in a garden full of beauty and every good thing that they could possibly consume. And in the center of that garden, there was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And every day, God said, you can eat of any tree that you want, including the tree of life. But here's the thing. Don't touch or, or don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, then you're, you'll die. But what is he saying to them? He's saying to them, if you want wisdom, if you want to know right from wrong, if you want to know how to traverse through this complex life that, and garden that I've placed you in, I want you to come to me, not to that. And what do they do? out the middleman. It's interesting, isn't it, what Eve says when she sees the tree and gets tempted by the serpent? I saw that it was good for eating and good for acquiring what? Wisdom. I saw a way to master life that did not include God himself. So here's the truth about our hearts. We would make that choice every time you're given the opportunity. Every time. And God knows that that's not good for us. He knows that it will result in our death. Because not only will we walk away from the source of wisdom when that happens, we will walk away from the source of life itself. What happens when you walk away from the source of life? You get the opposite of life. You get death. You get broken wisdom. And so you, you think you can navigate through life 
and get over the complexities, but what you're really doing is applying all the sources of the land of the living, not the one who has licensed us. So we need to understand this about our God. He doesn't just want us to get to the right source. He wants us to have the right person who can give us the wisdom that we need to transfer through this stuff. And if we cut out the middleman, then we cut out the heart of how we do it and all together. But we're not done. Because we need to know the source of wisdom, right? But we also need to know how to handle wisdom, or how to handle suffering itself. Because if, if, if you know where wisdom comes from, and you know something about the way that the world works, then um, by knowing those things, you'll be a little bit wiser about the way that suffering happens in this life. You won't be so shocked when it comes. Because you'll realize, hey, I live in this world, but I am not absolved from the responsibility for sin entering this world. I, too, walked away from the giver of life, and because of that, this world is a broken one. And because it's a broken one, when broken things come my way, even if I didn't do something directly related to, to receive and experience that suffering and brokenness, I was part of the problem to begin with that resulted in the brokenness that we now see. And so what that does for you is it actually helps you to, to walk through times and seasons of suffering without the shock of suffering. It actually allows you to, when bad things happen to you, that you don't go, well, what gives? Like, I was a really good person. I loved God. And this still happens. See, it'll protect you from the shock. But here's the thing it won't do. It won't help you with the pain. Shock is one thing, right? And we can be wise about not being shocked over suffering. And we should be wise about not being shocked when it happens to us. But how do you deal with the pain? This is where the terrifying part comes in. Did I leave up there too? Okay. Just for Because even if you're not shocked by suffering, even if you have a biblical worldview that says this is what the world is like, and I don't believe that God is being stingy when it comes to wisdom, that worldview is not enough to handle the pain itself. So what is? And here's what Job says. And this is, this is why we don't like the map that he gives us. Because here's the big answer. Verse 28, the last, the last thing he says here. He says, God says to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Wait, that's it? See, throughout the, the poem, Job's been saying a, a number of times these unanswered questions. Where can we find it? Where does it come from? In the end, we finally get the answer. It's the fear of the Lord. All right, well, what does that mean? Let me ask you, what do you, what do you think that means? Does it just mean you're afraid of Him? Yeah, it's to have reverence and awe for who God is. tough, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, to a certain degree. 
Yeah, I mean, our, our words kind of fail us at this point to some level, right? So how does that help us? If our words fail us and we can't get our arms around a concept like the fear of the Lord. Because we, we, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in, in a church circle where this was used, but I understand that it was used quite extensively. Where P, this would be the response if you're going through something. Well, just fear God, and everything will go well for you. And it, the words themselves are like a band-aid that doesn't fix anything. Because we don't understand the concept of the word. See, we tend to think of fear as something being bad. I was t- telling somebody the other day, when I was growing up, I had a bunk bed. And underneath the bunk bed, there, like my sister used the bottom bunk, but the bottom bunk was in her room. And so I kind of made like a little fort out of the space underneath my bunk bed. But at night, when the, the lights got turned off, um, I would imagine all these monsters being under my bed. And I was scared out of my mind. Did that help? No. So how does it help? Do we, we have to we have to maybe change our, our thinking about this a little bit because it's not just that we fear something bad. It's actually the opposite. We're told over and over and over again that God is good. So I don't think it's God's menacing presence that leads us to fear. I think it's His goodness that leads us to fear. You think, well, how in the world does that work? How could somebody being so good lead you to be afraid of them? Well, if God really is good, and He really and truly is great, meaning that he, he, he understands the way that the world works and everything is within His power to do it, then to fear God means you take your hands off the control. It means you take your finger away from the button that you think could fix it. We're map people. We want to know the way out. We want to do it ourselves. And the fear of the Lord says, it is not up to you, nor can you do it. I was thinking about this term and what it could mean here. This is the best phrase I could come up with. But the fear of the Lord means a terrifying level of unconditional trust in the love of God despite the circumstances. That kind of captures it, right? A terrifying level of unconditional trust in the love of God despite the circumstances. It's saying God is loving me even though it doesn't feel like He's loving me. It's saying He's in control and knows what's best, even though from my perspective it feels like he's completely out to lunch. Unconditional trust, both in God's goodness towards you, that his desire for you is what is best, as well as greatness to do what he knows is right, regardless of what I think is right. It's resting in him in the midst of a situation when all you want to do is run and escape. That's the fear of the Lord. And the truth is, that is the only way you will actually ever become better through suffering rather than worse. There's a a great story um, that Elizabeth Elliot tells. She recently passed away in June. Um, And if you haven't read anything about her life, I would really encourage you to do so because she's a, a remarkable woman. 
Um, but she was. She tells this story that about how uh, she spent some time on a farm in the Highlands of Wales, and she was spending time there with the farmers, and the the farmers that she was staying with were were sheep herders. And once a year, the sheep would be gathered in from the fields, and one by one they would go and be plunged into a giant vat of antiseptic. And the reason that they did this with the sheep is because if they weren't, the sheep would actually be eaten alive by parasites. So it was a protective measure uh, for the sheep that they needed to be plunged into this big giant vat, and then they would come out and they'd you know, be parasite-free and able to live another year. And so as she's watching this process happen, she says this. One by one, the, she- the shepherd would seize the sheep as they struggled to climb out of the vat. If they tried to climb out the other side, Mac the sheepdog would run around and snarl and snap in their faces to force them back under. And if they tried to climb up the ramp towards the shepherd, he would catch them, spin them around, force them under again, and hold them, ears, eyes, and nose, totally submerged. And and as I watched him do this, I realized that I had had many experiences in my life that made me feel very sympathetic to those sheep. A number of times I felt as if the great shepherd, the Lord, had been doing the very same thing to me. He was holding me underneath. I felt I was drowning, and when I asked, I didn't get a word of explanation. Ever feel like that? See, it... If, I don't know if, you, if this were true for you, but if I were a shepherd and I saw my, my sheep struggling with the reasons why I'm holding them under, I would want to give them an explanation for what I'm doing to them. Right? How effective is that going to be, though? Don't worry. This is for your good. You won't die. Just stay under. They're sheep. They don't understand the words of the shepherd. They, all they feel is them being held and submerged underneath this vat in a place where they absolutely do not want to be. And yet, if those sheep don't trust the shepherd, they're going to die. Here's the thing. The Bible says that we have a great shepherd and that we are his sheep. And I know it all makes sense and we know it in our minds, and we can try to apply it to our our thinking and our lives. And we think that, hey, if we go through times of suffering, we'll be just fine. And then we find ourselves actually being held under. Ears, eyes, and nose totally submerged. And we're crying out to him going, if I don't come up for air, I'm going to die. And the shepherd is saying to us in response, he's, he's trying to communicate to us in words that we don't get or understand, look, if you don't stay under, you're going to suffer something worse than death. But here's the thing. If you can trust the great shepherd in the midst of pain, in the end, that's the secret to actually becoming wiser through suffering. 
And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. The people that understand this point and really get it and really live it because they know the source of wisdom, they come out of suffering humbler and more sympathetic and kinder and more patient. I mean, they're people that you want to be around. You go, how did all that happen? It, it happened because they understood the fear of the Lord. They may not have understood what those words mean, but they knew the fear of the Lord. And they lived it. So here's the question. For those of us that might be in it, or at some point in time might go through it, how do you trust Him? How do you actually stay submerged? How do, you, how do you hold tight to the fear of the Lord rather than what you want to do, which is get the heck out of the vat? I think it's the only way to do that. The only way to do that is to understand that God didn't just... Remember a second ago we talked about C.S. Lewis saying that God would have to write himself into the story to reveal himself to us? God didn't just write something about himself into the story. He wrote himself into the story. 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24 says, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He came into this world as the wisdom of God to show us what it looks like to live a wise life. So if you want to know the map, you look at Jesus' life. If you want to know the source, you come to Jesus. But here's how you actually trust the source. We're in this analogy I said that you know we are sheep and God is our shepherd. Jesus is never called a sheep, though. Do you realize that? But he is called something else that sounds very much like a sheep. He's called a lamb. And there's something particular that we know about lambs and the way that they were treated in the Old and the New Testament is that lambs were substitutionary. Lambs were given as a sacrificial atonement on behalf of other people so that they would not need to deal with this other that called the wrath of God. And so the penalty for walking away from the source of wisdom, walking away from the source of life, doesn't fall on those it falls on the lamb in their place. So how can you actually trust God to put you through a vat of suffering? The only way that I know how is to know that God actually withheld the worst vat from you. He does not submerge you. He will not submerge you if you are in Christ Jesus in, in, in His wrath. That for you eternally has been passed over you. Because Jesus, the true Lamb of God, took that upon you. So that if you're a sheep, you know that any, any, anything that he submerges you in is not to destroy you, it's for your good. It's so that you might live and not die. That's the only way I know how to trust him. Is, is to say to myself and agree with God and pray before his behalf, God, I know that no matter what you put me through, no matter what it looks like, no matter what my circumstances are, it would have been and would be much worse had it not been for Jesus. You withheld the worst from me. So I can trust you now.
with what you've given to me, to know that you're my good shepherd, to know that you're being good to me. You've not just been good to me in the past. In this moment, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't speak your language, you are being good right now. That's the only way I know. So I hope it helps. And here's the thing. We're in a community where we can help one another to come to our senses about these things. We We may not have wisdom ourselves, but we know the source of wisdom. And we can help you run to it. So if you need somebody to pray with you through a season, please come and receive prayer. Please come and have have some of our community come around you and walk through this with you. Because you're not in this that by yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you that In Jesus Christ, we are your sheep. God, we know that we can trust you because Jesus as the great shepherd, the one who shows us what you're like over and above anyone who's ever come before, didn't use his life for himself, but he laid down his life as the great shepherd. He was the shepherd who gave himself up for his sheep. And so we know that you're like that. We can trust that you're like that. Because you put yourself in the vat. God, when our, when our minds and our hearts are screaming out to give us a map, to give us steps for the way out, to give us a solution that doesn't require you, I pray, God, that you would change our minds reveal to our hearts that it's it's you that we need. We need our shepherd. We need him to walk us through. God, I pray that we would trust you and that you would lead us through and that we would come out the other side humbler and more secure and more in love with you than we ever were before. I pray this for Jesus.